This show is sponsored by Koyeb.com. Visit the link in the show notes to check out Koyeb, a developer-friendly serverless platform to deploy apps globally. Stick around to our ad break to hear more about Koyeb. This is Cup of Go for September 22nd, 2023. I'm back. Keep up with the important happenings in the Go community in 15 minutes per week. I'm Shai Nechmad. And I'm Jonathan Hall. Good to have you back, man. Yeah, 100% less uh, application development and fancy English accent, <laughs> but uh, a bit more uh, securities, uh, you know, sprinkled up on top, some back end. We, we keep it varied. How was your holiday? Uh, I observed Rosh Hashanah with my family. It was a lot of fun. I actually listened to the episode and you mentioned it's a national holiday and I was like, not really. It's a Jewish holiday. But, uh, you know, confusion is, uh, is well warranted because it's really weird. Some national holidays are religious holidays and they're yeah. vice versa. Uh, but mostly, I really, really appreciate Andy. Thanks a lot, Andy, for covering for me and letting me spend Friday with my family and eating, uh, you know, apples and honey and doing the rest of the things. And then providing me with a super fun episode to listen to during the week. Awesome. Well, let's kick it off with a really quick reminder. GopherCon in San Diego starts on Tuesday. So if you're in the California area, which is a big area, if you're in the San Diego area, be sure to check out GopherCon. Damn, I wish I was there. Yeah, maybe next year I can make it. But the guest we're interviewing later on is going to be there. So stick around to hear more about more from him and about what the Gopher Developer Network will be doing at GopherCon. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of other conferences lined up for this quarter. And you can check out the, the better uh, host Andrew telling you about it in the previous episode. All right, let's jump straight into it. Open Tofu, up there with the list of uh, silliest names, but I like it. I try to stay uh, at least 50% vegan, so having uh, my tools be tofu. Isn't 50% vegan just regular? No, I mean like 50% of my uh, meals are vegan, and then the rest are normal, which Uh, averages out to about 75%. Okay, interesting. So OpenTofu, which is the rebrand of OpenTF, has been announced by the Linux Foundation. It's official. Yeah, it's more official than it was, less official than it will be, as hopefully it uh, makes its way through the CNCF graduation process. So OpenTF, if you've been living under a rock, HashiCorp had this uh, tool called Terraform for infrastructure management. Uh, It was open source for like nine years. They changed the license to be source available, the business license, same thing that MongoDB did in Elasticsearch, which is totally fine trying to protect their business. And a whole bunch of companies that stand to pay a lot for this uh, license change forked the Terraform project into OpenTF, now rebranded into OpenTofu and made it into the Linux Foundation, which is a big step. It does make it more official-ish. And you shared with me a blog post that I want to highlight that says this is not a correct way to represent it, that OpenTF is not a fork, right? Yeah, so Ray Myers uh, on LinkedIn, uh, who's a staff uh, reliability engineer indeed, wrote this interesting post that, that kind of puts a different spin on this uh, this topic. The headline is OpenTF, or now OpenTofu, is not the fork. And his argument is that historically, uh, at least for many open source tools, when they have closed source, closed source version sort of dwindles and fades into obscurity. It's the open source fork that continues and lives on so in that sense by adding a closed source license that was the act of forking to a closed source version so open tf or open tofu is the continuation of the old one and he points to jenkins as an example of this i think yeah i didn't know that yeah yeah so jenkins used to be called hudson i didn't know the history uh and i haven't verified that this is accurate but apparently hudson went commercial and jenkins is the the free version of that that we all know today and like who knows about hudson other examples I can think of, a little bit less extreme example would be Mong, uh, Maria Database versus MySQL. Both are still active and proud, but I would imagine that Maria is a little bit more common these days. That certainly has been on the projects I've been using. And I think we could point to a thousand other examples too. I, the one I like is BitKeeper. Do you remember that? Do you know what that is? I know what it is. So it used to host the Linux code until they changed license, right? Yeah, okay. And then they just went and built Git. So I guess they forked the capabilities. And, you know, who knows about BitKeeper today, but every single developer in the world uses Git. Yeah. Maybe uh, there's a few bank COBOL developers who still use SVN. I don't know. But anyways, uh, OpenTofu is either the next big thing in the Linux Foundation or the greatest prank for everybody to say the words OpenTofu out loud. <laughs> I feel like a total idiot. 
This is Go related, but it's not Go Go news. Let's do some Go Go news. Let's do it. There's a proposal I like. I like it because A, it's interesting, and B, it reminds us of a really cool feature. Go Toolchain has Go Test, which is one of the great things about it. You don't have to worry about, oh, I want PyTest or Unitest or like what framework of test do I need to install? Is it Jest or Mocha or whatever? Just comes built in with the, with the toolchain. And it has a lot of great features. One often overlooked is test minus shuffle. What does that flag uh, do? Well, so this is a flag I have heard about, but I never actually started using it until this last week. But it shuffles the order of the test execution, which is actually a pretty cool feature. So one of the principles that a lot of people talk about in the testing world is to make your tests first or even first you as an extension. And this is basically an acronym to talk about your test should be fast, isolated or independent, repeatable timely and the the u if you use it is understandable and so this shuffle thing sort of tackles that i in the in the first acronym the isolated or independent by shuffling the order in which you run your tests uh and if they fail when they run in the wrong and and quote the wrong order that means your tests are not independent yeah that happens if you have let's just give a classic example you have a test that relies on a db one uh, test like writes a row and make sure that it's uh written the other test reads and makes sure there are no rows because Nothing wrote there, right? You always run the read test first and the write test later, and it's going to work fine. Then you turn on shuffle, and 50% of the time, your tests fail because you forgot to clean up your database in between execution, exactly. which is useful. Like, again, you should use this flag. Now, this proposal is all about what happens if you do two flags that are useful at once. Another flag that's useful is minus count, where you can run the test a whole bunch of times in case you have you know, some statistical issue and you want to iron out this flakiness. So you can run minus count 100 and the test will run 100 times. And there's a question in this proposal of what should happen if you have both flags on at once? Like if I turn on shuffle and I turn on count 100, should it shuffle the playlist and then repeat the playlist 100 times? Or should it be random every time? I guess it's a question that, I don't know, Spotify engineers also had to face when they developed their shuffle and repeat buttons, right? But if, imagine you're listening on shuffle and you say it's random, but it's the same order every time it repeats, that's not really what you mean when you want it to run a lot of times on random. So what this proposal suggests is to change the shuffle seed in between multiple executions. And there's a lot of nuance here at the blog post, like what order should be and whatever. I actually like commented it myself as well and even got a thumbs up, which I'm excited about. Uh, so you can go check it out. But mostly we wanted to remind you of this feature. If you don't run minus shuffle and minus count on your tests, you should do it. What other news items should we revisit? So I think the, the big thing, we've talked about it a thousand times. You're probably tired of hearing about it. Um, if you are, hit the fast forward thing for a couple seconds here. But it's the for loop bug or issue or whatever you want to call it. And David Chase and Russ Cox wrote a great blog post about this issue and it being fixed in Go 1.22, which is just around the corner in about five months. <laughs> We're going to have to schedule uh, some you know, special uh, recording times for 1.22 because I think it's going to be a pretty interesting release. But we can't t- keep talking about this for loop thing anymore. <laughs> I'm I'm saying it now until 1.22, unless there's some huge bug in the library or whatever because of this foot gun. We're not reminding of you of this again. You know, as far as I'm concerned, the bug is fixed. I'm already running the experiment in production. I can't think of a reason. And unless you've done that and discovered a breakage, you should be too. It's old news already. It's bridging of the water as far as I'm concerned. This just this is just the rubber stamp on uh, the way things are already done. And this uh, connects pretty well with. You know, the backward compatibility blog post, it was released uh, about a month ago, but we promised we'd get to it. So we were mentioning it. It's a really good blog post. It, it is kind of boring in the sense that it's obvious and it looks good and it's detailed uh, and it's well written because Russ wrote it. So, of course, it's really well written. But it basically talks about uh, Go's ongoing uh, efforts to make the language more and more and more backward compatible as more and more minor versions come out. And I think this rollout of this bug fix is a really good example because they could have just fixed the for loop thing, you know, and yeah, from now on, everything is incompatible. But look at how it's actually happening over the course of almost a year. It's transitioning from a proposal to an experiment to being rolled out to becoming the default over, you know, the lifetime guarantees of the language. And you can still have it on using a you know, a flags if you if you must, if you have a really big code base that, you know, has this all over. Um, so this blog post sort of goes over the promises for the future. 
And it ends up talking about Go 2. Wait, when is Go 2 going to come out? I think next month, right after Half-Life 3. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And right after Half-Life 3 and, uh, and Fallout 5. You know, paid version of Linux. So they're saying, talking about Go 2, where, you know, that there will not be a Go 2 that breaks Go 1 programs. Instead, they're going to double down on compatibility. So I think all the prophecies about, oh, there's going to be a Go 2, it's going to be a Python 2, Python 3 debacle, the, the language is just must go there. No, it just matured enough to avoid that problem. And all the people that were burned on upgrading Python 2 to Python 3, including myself, you know, that we don't have to worry me. about that. That still bites me ugh. every once in a while. Ugh. That, that, ugh. Just ugh. So we don't have to worry about that for GoTo, which is super, super great. And if I were writing this blog post, I would just say, remember the Python thing? Not going to happen to Go. Uh, Here's we don't why. Want, we don't want to throw shade on other languages. Or do we? <laughs> cool. Let's talk about some things that uh, we had brought to our attention on our famous Cup of Go Slack channel. Mm-hmm. If you're not already on there, you need to come join the channel, by the way, and the 225 other people who are there. Uh, but the first one was a, a blog post on a topic that is, I, I want to say, near and dear to my heart, but it's actually kind of driving me crazy. So I don't know if that's really accurate. A thin line between hate and love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's S-Log. Slog. So there are things I love about the new S-Log package in and go 1.21. And there's some things I kind of hate about it now, too. And, and this blog post, link in the description, of course, um, is talking specifically about S-Log Test, which is a, a, a new package that was included in Go 1.21 also to make testing of S-Log handlers easier. Now, I haven't used S-Log Test very much. I've used it for one specific thing, and it did that particular thing very well. But I haven't used it for other things, and probably because it doesn't do those other things very well. And this blog post kind of goes through what S-Log Test is, what it does well, and where it falls short. TLDR first, what does S-Log test do? It's a tool for testing S-Log handlers. So if you're just using S-Log as a consumer, you could ignore this. If you're writing a handler, suppose you want to log in a particular custom format or to a different API, maybe you want to send logs to Slack or to to a particular whatever uh, data ingestion tool or something like that uh, that doesn't already have a handler, then then this tool would be something you might use to ensure that you're producing, that, that you're handler works as intended. Uh, the cons are that it doesn't give you much specific control over how you do those tests. It kind of just wraps everything up and gives you some output. doesn't necessarily handle ordering of keys very well, or you have to do your own parsing of that output sometimes if you want to detect certain uh, characteristics of your logs. And this is largely why I haven't used this tool. I, I've been writing some S-Log handlers to handle Google Cloud logging and Sentry and uh, custom output for text, actually. I, I've been working on three different uh, S-Log handlers, and I've only used S-Log test minimally because it doesn't give me the the control I need. So um, the conclusion of the article is some proposals, uh, informal proposals for how the S-Log test package could be improved. And then a a quick update. There is a proposal added, which we've mentioned on the show before, to Mm -hmm. add support for subtests. That proposal has been accepted and has actually been merged and the issue closed already on GitHub. So we can look forward to that and go 1.22 the s-log test package will be improved i think it's uh it's kind of rough around the edges but important to highlight that it's a lot better to sort of slog around with (laughs) this uh (laughs) package and write your own parser and and you know worry about that for like two hours and come out with a headache rather than log incorrect things in production because it's notoriously hard to see logging bugs right the hardest bug to discover is in the report a bug form because you can't really see it. What, I, what I'm worried about is, you know, not just ordering of keys and stuff like that, but, oh, incorrect formatting, keys missing, suddenly you're logging nil, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a text format, that's harder to, uh, or, you know, in a special custom output format for Google Cloud or whatever, I think these issues are harder to detect. So it's important to to remember that this is trying to improve on uh, where we were before, where we didn't have any standard logging package at all. I assume in a couple of versions, it's going to iron out and look a lot better. Yeah, I intend to write a blog post about my experience, so stick around for that. I'll mention that on the show whenever it's... You're that covered. angry, huh? I found a lot of gotchas I want to save other people from. That's, uh, you know, the... I want to speak to your manager equivalent. It's not a rant. It's, it's going to be more of a how-to than a rant. There will be ranting sentences, but it's not a rant per se. Yeah. <laughs> And running out, another thing that popped up on our Slack channel, thanks uh, thanks Peter Arunov for uh, giving us this link. And Laura, I'm going to try the last name, I'm going to try it, Voranoha, maybe? Uh, sorry if I totally butchered that. For a super interesting uh, release from Google uh, Security, something called Caps Lock. 
So you haven't read this blog post yet. So let me walk you through it. Could you stop shouting at me in the meantime? Turn off your caps lock. <laughs> nice. But I'm so supply chain attacks have been really in the headlines ever since Capital One breach. Do you remember that one where Capital One had was a in your wallet? Yeah. So they had a breach where their software supply chain was attacked. Some Docker image or library was actually malware way up in the, you know, upstream uh, dependencies, made it to production and a whole bunch of credit cards got stolen. It also recently happened a lot in light of the Russia-Ukraine conflict where open source libraries, you know, suddenly inject political messages into your output. You know, you run NPM install and suddenly you're seeing a whole bunch of Russian running on your uh, terminal or Ukrainian. You don't know what's going on. You see the Ukraine flag. And obviously, in, in a lot of ransomware attacks, that's that was the injection path. Added some malicious code to a dependency. And the whole world, the security world, was focused on supply chain, trying to eliminate uh, malicious code and vulnerabilities in your dependencies. Along comes Caps Lock and says, wait, when you import a library, you don't need to only worry about malicious code or vulnerabilities it introduces, you know, like RCE or whatever. Without your knowledge, you don't know what that library is doing anyway. You don't know what its capabilities are right now, even if it's not malicious. For example, you know, you import a logging library with the new S-log package. You could assume that it only does like writing logs. But if you do capability analysis of that library, you can see that it sends network because somewhere in the code, it has support for uh, sending messages out to, let's say, Google Cloud. Right. And what Caps Lock are coming and saying, there are two sides to this coin, which I'm really excited about. The first one is the technical one where they can analyze Go code because Go code is so simple and figure out what are the capabilities of a package. So you can go into your Go package, run Caps Lock here and or I don't remember exactly what's the command, uh, but it's super easy to install. You run it and you see a list of all the things your package is capable of doing. You see it writing to files, reading from files, going out to network, dealing with memory, all these sorts of things. And so technically, it's really cool that we can do it for, for Go. And I really hope to see, you know, the Google security team rolling that out to other languages as well. For Go, I think it's maybe the easiest uh, to do that. Uh, I believe that, you know, trying to do it in Python or, or JavaScript is going to be a lot harder because dynamic languages are very hard to parse deterministically. But let's put the static analysis angle to the side. The security angle is so cool because they're basically creating a new market. They're saying, oh, you worried about supply chain and you worried about vulnerabilities so far, right? Okay. Now you, we also want to put the responsibility of thinking about what each library can do. And if that changes unexpectedly, you know, suddenly, I know, Go Releaser gets a new release and suddenly they have access to unsafe memory. Like, why? doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So you need to manage the capabilities of your dependencies now, which theoretically you should have done, right? When you right. import a new library, you should but, read all its code and that? verify it, but nobody does that. That doesn't make any sense. So I think it's either going to be like a dud because it only works for Go and doesn't get enough traction, or we're going to see like 15 new startups doing capability management, you know, all the big uh, shift left security providers, you know, such as Orca where I work, but also Sneak and all these other companies that uh, depend upon in in uh, inside GitHub, so Microsoft security, right? Google security, obviously, who came out with this tool. All these companies might be saying, okay, now I need to add this capability to my security offering as well. And it would be harder for library developers or malicious actors to introduce new capabilities into libraries. So I'm super excited about this blog post. I found it really interesting. It is very early. Like it only works for Go. And it seemed it did, like I ran it on a few packages in our company and it only worked for like three out of eight. So it's still kind of rough around the edges. All right. But if you're into security, you should definitely check this out. Really, really interesting. And thanks a lot, Laura, for pointing that out to us. Well, I think we are at the end of our list. Uh, this may be the first time we've done that in several weeks. We usually mm -hmm. uh, have to cut it off before we finish our, our backlog for the week. Stick around for an interview with Wilkin Rivera, who is with the Go Developer Network. We'll be talking about what GDN, the Go Developer Network, is and does and how they might be able to benefit you and your local Go community. So stick around for that. See you there. <laughs> Thank you.
This episode is sponsored by Koyab, as we mentioned in the intro. Uh, Koyab is a developer-friendly serverless platform to deploy apps globally and dear friend of the show. No ops, no servers, no infrastructure management. It all just runs in the cloud, you know, automatically, which I don't like. Like, I like uh, dealing with servers and cables and whatever. But it's been so delightful that I'm, I'm turning around on it. If you have some web apps, some APIs, I have a web app, that's what I'm running there. Event-driven serverless functions, background workers, cron jobs. You can just shove it all on Koyab and they'll get it figured out. And I've been using it for a while. I like it. It works. And if you want to check them out, you can go to koyab.com, sign up with your GitHub and spin up a project real quick. Although we would appreciate if you use the link in the show notes because it has a little thing that tells Koyab uh, we sent you. So they're going to treat you extra nice. I usually for backend developers, that's not a big deal, but their UI is just so slick and they're really improving it all the time. I, I really like that focus on UX. It's not like fancy. It feels like working in a terminal, even though I'm in, I'm in Chrome. Really, really good stuff. Uh, so go check out Koyab, and thanks, Koyab, for sponsoring the show. I have a couple of projects I'm thinking about uh, trying on Koyab myself, so maybe uh-huh. before long we'll both be users. Well, you can utilize their kind of generous uh, free tier. I'm saying kind of generous because it is really a free tier. It's not like, you know, Amazon where you get credits and you have to pay for the service like a minimum. You get five bucks a month, but it's limited to five bucks a month because, you know, at some point they got to start charging you for such a great of service. Course. Let me just take a quick sip here. Wait, wait, that cup you're using looks really nice. Who made that? <laughs> yeah, so uh, if you head on to store.cupago.com, uh, you can check out .dev. Yeah. We don't have the .com, uh, maybe when we're rich. Uh, so if you go to store.cupago.dev, you can uh, grab one of two variants of cups. One with uh, the old one with the text and the like slightly busier logo. And the more minimal, minimalist one, which uh, Andy really seemed to like. Andy of, of last week fame, by the way. Our, our yeah, and of week, yeah. fine fame. If you develop, uh, you know, applications in Go, you know who, who we're talking about. You know, we're actually really happy with our supply right now. It's called Printify. They're not sponsoring us or anything. If anything, they take a pretty big cut of, out of every sale. <laughs> we're sponsoring them. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, a bunch of people ask. So we're using Printify. It's a print-on-demand thing. So, you know, we don't have huge stocks. We don't have to worry about it too much. It was a f***ing pain in the ass to set up. But once we got it set up, it's working and everything's shipping kind of nicely and nothing broke. Nobody reported any broken mugs on the way and it's packaged up, packaged up real nice. So thank you for, uh, you know, giving us some high-quality mugs. People have been happy with them. I've been putting them in the dish water a couple of times a week and they're still rocking finally if you want to find us talk to us you can do it in our slack channel cup o go at the go for slack with hyphens so kebab case you can also email us at news at kapago.dev that is news at kapogo.dev if you like the show please uh, leave a review and i'm gonna go in order of where y'all are listening please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Transistor Site. Oh, that's directly on the site, actually. I don't know if you can leave a review or a, or a rating there. Podcast Addict, Antenna Pod, Embedded Players, Desktop Browsers, Castbox, Player FM, iTunes. iTunes is so low down the list. We keep saying iTunes, but I guess it's just a brand name. But it's actually oh, well, Apple Podcasts. There's now. Apple Podcasts and iTunes. I think Apple Podcasts has effectively replaced iTunes, hasn't it? Yeah. So wherever you listen to your podcast, even if it's the gray other section in our analytics, which is the curl command you use to download the MP3 file. That's how I do it. <laughs> yeah. It curl and then a USB cable that comes out into, uh, you know, this tin can that you just put directly into your ear. So if you're listening there, you're probably not understanding what we're saying because the quality is so degraded. Uh, but we really appreciate it. If there's a way to rate on your, uh, you know, tin can, maybe you click it twice and it sends back a rating. Please do share the show. A lot of people have been listening recently. It's really fun to get all that feedback and love from the community. So thanks a lot. And we have a super interesting interview coming up with uh, Wilkin. So stick around and we'll talk to you all next week. Until then. Bye. Hey, Shai. Yo. I know you're part of a Go meetup, and, and I'm part of a Go meetup, but a lot of our listeners might be listening from places like Fiji or or who knows where, some little backcountry place where they don't have Go meetups. Maybe some, some Go developers on oil rigs, yeah. offshore oil rigs. Yeah. You know what they could use? What could they use? I think they could use a bridge. But up, ching. <laughs> hey, Wilkin. Hey, hey. How's it going? That's great. Great. I love the pun. That was awesome. <laughs> I saw that coming a while away. Yeah, oh, that's good. It felt very natural. It was so great. <laughs> yeah. 
Wilkin, welcome to Cup of Go. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Tell us, before we dive into the questions, though, tell us a little bit about who you are and who you represent, what, what company or organization you're with. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Um, so first and foremost, Jonathan Shai, thank you so much for having me on. Really excited to be here, so so thank you. My name is Wilkin Rivera. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a, I'm a software engineer from New York, um, originally from New York, currently based in Miami. I think as far as the organization that I'm with, you know, I, I'm here sort of a, a member and a longtime contributor to GoBridge, right, whose mission really is to grow or, if you will, increase the diversity within the Go community, right, right, really sort of building that bridge, if you will, using education and technical resources to just help underrepresented communities, right? As a member of that organization, I work as the lead for the GDN. And for those that don't know, the GDN stands for the Go Developer Network. And its physical manifestation is really, it's a pro meetup network of 100 plus Go meetups around the world. And that's my focus. You know, I volunteer my time there just trying to figure out how I can help empower the next generation of Go developers through, you know, sort of take on the continuation of the language and just sort of, you know, increase the representation within our communities that we've grown to love. Well, thanks for coming, first of all. And, you know, before we dive into oh, diversity, what does it mean for software engineering? What does Go developer, how can I help? And all like the things I think our, our listeners are expecting us to ask. I want to start with why. Like, why do you do this? I get why uh, companies, uh, you know, like to say they do diversity because it looks good on their like company pages and why communities like to say they are uh, inclusive because it sounds nice. But actually volunteering your time, you know, and actually having skin in the game. Why do you do this? Yeah, and that's a great question, Shai. I mean, I really, it goes back to where I come from, right? Like I so born and raised in New York City. I'm a product of my environment, my community, right? As a Latino within, you know, in the industry, I just sort of growing up, right? It was all about family, who you know, right? And, and being able to sort of improve yourself based off of the people that you surround yourself with, right? Where it was, it was all a collective. And with that mindset, it's always been about building community. So I started working with GoBridge. I don't know. I, th- I think I met Bill Kennedy at one of my first Gotham Go meetups and he was talking about it. And there was just this feel of like community within Gotham Go. Right. And I was like, oh, man, I really like this. I really want to be a part of this. And as I started to got a chance to meet more folks, you know, I, I, ended, I started working with Katrina Owen as an open source developer. And I just really saw that community sort of manifest itself. Right. And I, I got a chance to speak with Steve Francia, who was running Go at the time. And he's like, what his what he was trying to do with the community. And I enjoyed it. And that's who I am. So when given the opportunity to really pay it forward. Right. Because that's where I, I am, where I am because of my community. So I do what I do because I want to pay it back. Right. I want to pay it forward. I want to show people, hey, you can gain so much more by just being part of the group. Right. And you know, within the U.S., you kind of have all these pockets where people just really just, you know, come together. They have these hacking sessions and they grow. Right. But when you start thinking about different countries, you know, um, different continents. Right. Those resources are, are light, man. And some of them are not even in their own native tongue. Right. So I do it because I know, hey, there is a plethora of information that we have access to that others don't. And I want to make sure that they get access to that. Right. And that, that's really the driver. Right. Just want to bring that out and, and show there's so much to gain from having different minds, different nationalities, different perspectives, just diversification. Right. There's differences within the same group. And you can see, you know, the beautiful things that we can create. So that's that's the why. Well, thanks for sharing, man. So there are many like dimensions of power when coming to tech you know, when you just get to a meeting and you, you want to talk about the design or whatever, you would come to a meetup and you see everyone around you. I just read a really good post by, we might put it in the in the show notes, even though it's not strictly Go-related, called Dimensions of Power, which I really feel when you say like, I'm a product of my environment. Uh, that's like where I came from and stuff like that. There's a lot of things in that list that are implied, you know what I mean? Like, what's your formal authority? Where are you coming from? Uh, what organization are you in? What gender? What race? What's your accent? And I thought about a lot of these things because for me, you know, I'm literally almost the most privileged person on earth. They all line up in my favor, at least where I'm in my like local community. And it sets up sort of a different, you know, when I come to like diversity events or I want to help, you know, like stuff like Women Who Go, which we interviewed here, I feel a bit uncomfortable. So, you know, I just want to say really thank you for coming and sharing this, even though you're talking to two uh, basically white guys who are (laughs) very comfortable in their industries right now and, you know, looking more to contribute than, uh, than to give. That's super awesome. 
Yeah, man, absolutely. I'm, again, happy to be here. And I think, you know, and, I, and I'm glad that you called that out. And, you know, and I, I do want to say, like, on the last episode, you know, you had mentioned, you know, the benefits of going to a meetup and, you know, what you, you know, just kind of like being able to ad hoc stand up and speak. Right. And I think sometimes those little actions are what really separates us. Right. Or, or just it really just kind of makes an influence. Right. And I think that's the key, most important thing we want to think about when we jo- when we walk into this room, you know, especially if we're coming in, we feel like, you know, person of privilege It's like, OK, how do we use that? you know, to kind of make an influence here? How do we help bring up everyone else, right? And I think that's the mindset that we want to, you know, the GDN, the Go community, right? That's all what we want to sort of walk into a room with, right? And share that same mindset. It's like, how do we help everyone else level up so that we level that playing field to the best of our ability, right? Because there's certain things that control that. So let's talk about the Go Developer Network. What is it? I mean, obviously it has a mission to help the community, but like specifically, what services does it offer? Where is it? However you can answer that, because I'm sure many people have never heard of it before. Great question. Yeah. So again, Go Developer Network, mostly referred to as the GDN. And I think if anyone has gone to one of the meetup pages for any of the groups within the GDN, they'll see that nice little sort of GDN floating logo, uh, which is literally the, the letters GDN with a set of eyes over a set of, over a cloud. So <laughs> if you see that, that's the GDN. Nice. But I think so, you know, a little, a little historical fact, the GDN, right, is sort of is under the stewardship of GoBridge, right? GoBridge being the not-for-profit. And the GDN started back in 2019, I want to say. I'm looking at the initial commits in GitHub. And it was a collaboration between GoBridge, right, who was, again, using mostly on the, working with Brave Foundry to do workshop with Google. Google and GoBridge came together to figure out like, okay, to think, how can we increase diversification within the Go community? How do we expand, right, beyond what it is that people know Go for right now? And how do we ensure that people are getting the resources that they need, again, to grow, enjoy the language, take advantage of it and in the, and the community? Um, so that's where it started. And the GDN, you know, it really is, in short, the collective of Go user groups around the world, right? Right now we have 100 plus. When I started back in early January uh, in 2023, now, mind you, there's people here before me, but I, I started the, uh, leading the program in 2023. We had over 200 uh, meetups. And then we've made some changes where we wanted to sort of help the ones that were thriving or the ones that were really engaged, wanted to help them continue being successful. So we kind of shaved off some of the, the meetup groups and ask people to join others. Now, to your question of what we do. So the GDN, up until from day one, has always helped user groups get started, right? So that's like providing resources for someone who wants to start a meetup group, making those physical connections or, you know, those virtual connections, if you will, for people to talk to, and then pay for meetup services, right? We, we know that running a meetup is hard, right? It takes time, it takes effort, it takes money, right? So the GDN said, okay, well, we can help with the money part, right? We can help cover fees and we can help provide or make the connection between, you know, um, some sponsors that we know that want to contribute back. Um, but then we fast forward to today and we're doing more than that, right? Like we had, a, we sent out a survey earlier this year, what we called the GDN engagement survey. We were like, okay, of all the meetup groups that are part of this network, what's working for you? What's not? Right. What you know, are you are you still meeting? And if you're not meeting, what's keeping you from meeting? Right. And it was it was modeled after the goal survey, if you will, a little bit. Right. Not as intricate, but still the general uh, concept. And we got some good feedback. Right. We got an opportunity to see the engagement, people that are interested, who want to hold meetups, people that are like, hey, like we run meetups because we have a really good network. Right. Like for the women who go in Berlin, they have a really good framework for running successful meetups. And then we have other people, you know, who are struggling. Right. Who are like, hey, like we set up the group, but we haven't had a chance to have a meetup or we've only held one. And that's where we like, OK, we can do more. Right. So our focus mm-hmm. right now and, I, and I'll stop after this to, for some questions, but we, or I can go straight into detail, however you prefer. But we, we decided, OK, well, the two hardest things that meetups run into is finding a venue and, and sponsorship uh, or speakers, shall I say. So mm-hmm. we started to build out a directory for potential venue sponsors. We're sending out this survey to people that who we worked with in the past and other organizations that we know host meetups and say, hey, do you want to sign up to be a sort of a perpetual host for our meetups so that when someone in Nigeria, someone in Brazil or, you know, or in Amsterdam says, hey, I need to host a meetup. I don't have a spot. Okay. You can reach out to us and we try to make that connection for you. Here's the directory. These are the people in your general location. Do you want to meet with them? And then the second problem is speakers, right? We have speakers all around the world. People do it remotely, you know, sort of a blessing from the pandemic where people got online and started having these sessions. We have a lot of YouTube content. We have all this stuff. 
And those same folks still want to contribute back and they want to speak. So we're building a speaker directory where we have people who sign up to speak and awesome. they're there and meetups can say, hey, I need a speaker in you know, my country. Do you know anyone or someone who wants to join via Zoom? And we make the connection, right? That's what we're doing now. Sounds like I need to get on that directory. Yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, I, <laughs> there's not a lot of people on the directory yet. You know, it just started. I All mean, right. uh, you two gentlemen, as uh, you know, as said, uh, meetup organizers and whatnot. That email kind of went out not too long ago. But yeah, it'll be great. The more people, the merrier. It'll be great. Cool. So, so let me stop here for a second before we continue with the questions. Here's a good call to action. If you're listening on your car, don't write this down. Just wait till you park the car. But if you're like... Just listening while you're working, stop for a second. If you're a senior Go developer and you spoke at a meetup, or if you work at a company that has a big enough room to host a Go meetup, go talk to Wilkin. We're going to have a link on how to find him down in the show notes and connect to the GDN. But any cup of Go help we can uh, throw the project's way would be super great. And by the way, if you're listening and you're wondering, yeah, but do I have the time? Is it worth it? Usually it's worth it. The people who come from underrepresented backgrounds are not like worse at programming. They're, they just have less connections, so they get don't get the jobs. If you get to these people first, you're going to find like better talent for your company or whatever just by virtue of these connections because these are people who are not like in the pool right now, right? So even in a selfish, like what do I get out of this way? Usually you get really good connections and you would get like really good talent. But even in a like selfless kind of way, you want to give back to the community. Whatever take you want to give on it, go talk to Wilkin. We're going to have the link at the top of the show notes. So make sure you don't miss that. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. <laughs> so there's one, you know, one thing you, you talk about, it's kind of, it's local versus global, right? Your core vision is, is focusing on smaller local Go communities rather than the like global Go community. Like, well, you want to help that person in Nigeria and Amsterdam and Israel and whatever set up their meetup. What's the strategy behind this? Is the localized approach, like, does it have ripple effects on the broader community or does it just make the lives of these like 10, 15, 20 developers in that city better? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think... And I would like to say that I, I think it's the collective as a whole that makes the presence or, or help benefits everyone globally, right? I think once you have the feeling of being part of a community and understanding the support that you have locally, right? And then you start to sort of branch out into the global space, you know, maybe going to, you know, GopherCon Israel or GopherCon Berlin, you know, it, all these events, right? Because we, GoBridge helps with that as well because we provide scholarship for folks to attend. And I think once you have you know, that solid foundation at home, you know, I think it's very easy. It's easier for folks to sort of transition into a global space. And I think that, you know, they, they can carry that. The idea is that they carry that feeling, that pride of like, hey, you know, my local community gave to me and now I'm going to do the same thing globally. And then I'm also going to help maybe help some other local community uh, rise up. Right. And I think one interesting talk that's coming up on, which is probably a really good example of this, there's a talk. I can't remember the gentleman's name, so I apologize in advance, but there is a talk from one of the speakers who was a GoBridge mentee. Right. And he's going to talk about his experience going through the mentorship program as GoBridge. Right. And then we have at GoForCon, we also have some mentorship community day lined up from exorcism who is the official mentorship program from GoBridge, right and now these are people are coming together to show everyone and i think so it really you know like anything you start small right and then you kind of go you know it, it blossoms right? well i think the saying is you know you you build a mountain one pebble at a time something along those lines right and i think that's the general idea right where it's just like you give people a solid foundation at home and then just watch the magic happen because they, they're going to spread they're going to be happy to talk about what's working for them and spread it with everyone else Nice. I do think that there is a, a global effect, not in the sense that necessarily you host like virtual meetups or something like that, but more in the sense that people know that they have this like psychological safety network. They know that they, the community is, is like there somewhere in the background. They can, they can feel it. And now, you know, it, it, if you're listening and you're hearing about this for the first time, next time you're going to go to a meetup, you, you might be wondering, oh, is someone here from GDN? Is something like, you know, what's going on here? I mean, the answer to that question is yes, right? Everybody's part of the GDN, you know, <laughs> it's like, we're, we're, we're all members of it, right? If you're part of the community, you're one of us, right? I think, you know, and this, and I, it's probably a good opportunity to say, if you ever say, if, if you're thinking like, oh, I would, be, would love to be part of that, the door is open, reach out, you know, we'll definitely figure out what we can do. You know, we need representation locally, right? We're, we're spread across the U.S. right now and some folks in, in Europe, but, you know, the closer people are to the communities that they want to work with, the better, right? So... Um, we're all, everybody's a member. I said it here. And mm -hmm. if you want to, if you want to spend some time and 
you know, take some action, reach out. So I think it's a great opportunity to talk about exactly where and how people can reach out. I'm sure you have a website. Uh, is that the best place to, to find GDN? Yeah. So, um, so that's a work in progress, right? So we don't have a website. Okay. We, we kind of, so we have a few links. Um, but I think, um, the first thing, if you, if you go to, um, so gdn.gobridge.org, um, that's, that kind of, that takes you to the main meetup, uh, pro network. So you can get a chance to see all the meetup groups that are part of the GDN and you can reach out to any one of those local organizations or the local meetups. Uh, as far as the GDN, uh, the administrative side of it, we have, um, is, the link is gdn-organizer.gobridge.org, which is a mouthful. So I would just say, just go to the, the, the GoBridge GDN GitHub page. And that's where we sort of operate, right? We have, we're setting the wiki up there. We have um, our code of conduct on there. We have our program charter, you know, requirements for joining the GDN, how to get involved. We just added some uh, GitHub template uh, issues if you want to make a request or if you want to get involved. Or you can shoot us an email at gdn-gobridge.org, right? So... That's what we have right now. I think we're, we're organizing a little more. We're trying to build up the, the website and have that presence, right? But um, yeah. Very cool. I feel like I said a lot. I don't know if I, if I gave a clear answer on <laughs> how to reach no, out. I, I think you did. So <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we'll have links to all that in the show notes, of course. Uh, but there's the GitHub page, email. And then you mentioned uh, gdn.gobridge.org, which uh, I just visited and it shows a map of, is it Go Developers? Is that what it's showing? Yeah, that's that's, so that's groups. Yeah, those are all the yeah. groups, right? Um, yeah. 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 So yeah, I have a few links that I can share because I feel like I, I can I can spit off a few. But I mean, if if folks are listening and they're like, "Hey, what's that link for? Sign up to be a speaker." It's gdn. Uh, it's teach. gdn community. And if you want to be a sponsor, it's sponsor. gdn. community. Like those are the probably the two simplest links that we have. But you know, lots of ways right. to reach out. And you know, in the gdn group, I already feel comfortable because we had Mickey, who's the organizer of Go as well. Mm-hmm. He was the first interview ever on Kapago. And we had uh, Yarden and uh, Nafal, who are the organizers of Women Who Go as well, who's also uh, like highlighted here on the map. I obviously did, like I saw the map, and the first thing I did was like go to my country and see what, uh, what do we have there. And we have pretty good representation so far in, uh, in Kapago for GDN uh, members, uh, which is pretty cool. GDN organizers, I should say. I do have one uh, extra link I want to highlight. You know, GoBridge encourages people to become sponsors and donate to the cause. It's like the only word you have in caps lock in your like GitHub page. So first of all, like when you go to the GitHub page and you're thinking about uh, contributing or something like that, that's where it is. I do want to dive into that a little bit. How important are these like partnerships and sponsorships and like sustaining these activities, expanding these activities? What sort of contribution, you know, made a really big impact recently, for example? Well, I feel like that would probably be a better question for, for Bill. Right, we can look at it in two perspectives, I guess, two ways, right? From a GoPridge perspective, right? Which again, is sort of is the stewardship of GDN, right? The funding that we've gotten there has helped three big things. One, it has continued the sustaining the meetups, right? So like I said, we cover all the meetup fees, right? So for every meetup that's part of the GDN. So any meetup that is still operating right now, which is quite a bit, um, has had that benefit, right? We've had that opportunity to sort of give financial support to those meetup groups so that the organizers can focus on what they do, which is getting the content, right? Getting speakers, hosting, having these venues. Second thing is GoForCon EU was probably the last one. We provided scholarships to a few members of the community, the Go community, from different parts of the world, right? I was honored. I was. I had the privilege to be part of the community, sort of look at sort of the diversity applications to see people who were applying and how we can provide resources to them so that they can join these conferences. Again, these are folks who've never been to these conferences or a conference, you know, per se, and now they had the opportunity to do so. It's not being offered for GopherCon US this year because of the, I guess, because of the, had the sort of a backlog because of the pandemic, you know, so I feel like there, there were already other people who had, who had already gotten scholarships. And then the, just the general program events that were hap- that are happening, right? So we sponsor, like I mentioned, Exorcism is the mentorship program, right? That because of the contributions that we got from our community, from Google or from other partners that we work with, you know, we're giving back. And now we, we were able to donate to Exorcism, right? As part of the Goldbridge Foundation, which Again, like I said, the the mentorship program, official men, goal mentorship program. I'm struggling to say that. We're happy to be give to be able to give to that, right? And I think um, on a sort of a smaller scale, 
Nolan is one of the partners or one of the folks that we work with recently. I think if I'm not mistaken, they, they reached out, they had sponsored one of the Go Israel meetups and it was a pretty successful meetup, if I'm not mistaken. And then we were able to sort of connect them with other folks. Uh, they, I think they just helped South Korea spin up one of their Go meetups and work with them. So these small partnerships, you know, they're small, but they, they're making, you know, a little ripple effects and they're benefiting other local groups, right? So it's not um, and, and I think that's the deal with the sponsorships, right? I think with built, when you start to speak with like at a higher level, the Goldbridge stuff, I think, you know, any, any financial contribution, any sponsorship goes much further than just the GDN at that level for, for, from a GDN perspective, the impact is, I mean, you have the opportunity to change someone's world, right? Seriously. Like you make a contribution, you help this community come up and now someone has, has the ability to be part of that. And then, you know, you just let it flourish and then. You know, that's the outcome. But, you know, now I'm kind of speaking a hypothetical, but <laughs> I'll, I'll pause. I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, so we talked about like, uh, you know, GDN Gorebridge uh, at large, like hypothetical, what's the organization for? But there are some like time sensitive initiatives we should discuss, right? Like conference, scholarship applications and stuff like that. What's happening soon? Yeah, great question. So right now, actually, you're sort of leading up. Thank you. <laughs> it's almost it's almost like it was planted. <laughs> um, so next week, if I, right next week, we'll be starting GopherCon US, and uh, and I'm actually really excited to be part of that. Um, we have four meetup, five probably meetups lined up. You know, and uh, across the the Neuro Spicy group, we have uh, the Rainbow Lines. The we have um, a United Go. Um, we have a women who go meet up. So, and then we also have a meetup for meetup organizers, which is very interesting for those folks who are either existing meetup organizers or looking to get started, right? There's a few organizers who are going to be there. We're going to be talking about sort of sharing our stories, you know, both good and horrible, if you will, or just learning experiences, if you will, about how to get started, how to maintain the velocity, um, and, um, you know, and what it entails to actually be, um, a meetup organizer. Uh, one of my GDN uh, teammates, Paul. But I, I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher his last name. Uh, but is Bola, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he just wrote a post on what it is to be a meetup organizer, and it's on Medium. I'll share the link after. Um, but um, it, it's it's really it's, a, it's sort of a good post to kind of see what it entails and how to get started. Cool. So, and you're going to be physically there, right? Yes, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there for the community day and the first day of the conference. All right. So, so I'm going to try to manifest something to happen like kinetically in the, in the real world from the podcast, which already happened a few times, you know, with people getting cups and whatever. But if you listen to this interview and then you meet Wilkin in the, in the con, like say like, so, oh, from the podcast yeah yo dude you're the dude from the podcast <laughs> oh actually it's gonna be a bit hard right because they don't see you so you should be looking for someone with the glasses uh, a really big smile and a goatee i assume you're not going to take the headphones with you but if you're... <laughs> 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 so it's gonna be hard sort of hard to recognize you based on that but that would be cool if someone like listened to this and then going yeah. to uh, go for con uh, us and they meet you up tell them brewster sent you yeah. yeah, tell him Brewster sent you. That was yeah. what I was looking for. <laughs> Sounds good. No, I, I look forward to anybody. If I'll most likely be at pretty much every meetup, I'll be at the community day things, and I will will have a shirt that says GDN on it. Um, I like to print custom shirts for these things, so I'll have one of those on too. So if anything, just look cool. out a, G, a GDN shirt. <laughs> uh, is there anything else lined up other than uh, next week? Other than next week. It's nothing's lined up just yet, but after next week, after GopherCon um, and chatting with the GDN, with the other uh, folks on the GDN, we're going to start thinking about workshops, right? Reintroducing workshops, you know, how to get workshops back into the community um, and, and providing curriculum, which is something that's sort of the third part of what we're trying to do with the GDN, which is essentially reaching out to all the content creators that are out there creating content for Go and having them donate some of their, you know, content that we can provide to workshop, to meet up organizers for workshops. So that that's going to come after. I think we're going to start, we're going to go all in on on that once we have the, you know, right after the directory and, and we have a, a nice little roster of people to reach out to so that's it on the events on the event front that's really cool awesome uh well we're coming to a close here and we usually have our two questions with that we like to close our interviews with you know gun to your head you have to remove a feature from go what's leaving the language what's leaving the language yeah that's a great question um 
I don't have a good answer for that. I think, you know, there's, there's some features that I've never used uh, that I, but I think, yeah, I don't know. It, it's very controversial. I think I haven't used it that much uh, to, enough to say it, but I think the generic side of things has sort of increased the difficulty in reading some of the function, you know, some of the code that's written. I wouldn't remove it because I don't, I haven't used it enough to understand it. But I think like right now, that's the one thing that I'm like, oh, I wish we can do, it could be a little better, right? Just understanding yeah. uh, how things work there. That's a popular answer. It might be yeah, the most people, popular answer. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although it, it's also very popular. Yeah. It's also popular uh, for, for some people on the other side. Controversial is a good uh, description. Uh, yeah, it's like when you go to Reddit and you sort, you, you want to find the best drama, then you sort by controversial and you find the posts that are like directly on zero. That's exactly where generics is right now, I think. But the flip side is obviously, uh, you know, what would you add to go from, yeah. you know, all the other uh, programming space? You know, I think I think Go's done a good job already. And I think, you know, with keeping the simplicity of the language, right, and, and making it approachable, I, I really think one of the things that drew me to Go was because it's sort of built by some of the pioneers already. And I think a lot of their learnings from those different languages have sort of, you know, made Go what it is, right? So it's hard for me to think of like one thing that a language that we, I'd want to take from another language, to be honest with you. Um, I think I would sort of answer that question. Was like, I wouldn't be so quick to pull anything from other languages just so that it feels like something we're used to. Right. And I think, I think when I first, I mean, I'm again, kind of being honest with the, with the generics thing, I didn't know it was a thing until it started, until it became a big discussion, you know, for we need to add this to go. I'm like, well, what is that? Right. Like I've never used it. And then, and then I learned more about it. I'm like, oh, so, so I don't have a clear answer to that. Like what I would pull. Right. I think there's probably some great things there, but I also understand that there's some functionality in the language that was intentionally left out because it's sort of forcing us to think how to do this thing, you know, and how to write this code as opposed to just relying on the standard library, right? For some of the simple things, right? Mm -hmm. Then here's a thought. How about uh, taking the like aesthetics and merge from uh, JavaScript conferences into Go meetups? All the Go meetups I've been to are very like scruffy pizza and beer and we're gonna dive into json like json code and, and slides with code immediately <laughs> and all the like web developer conferences i've been to everybody dressed nice and you know it's all dark mode on the walls and everybody nobody's pulling out linux machines everything's like mac and beautiful <laughs> maybe we can grab something in meetup land you know what i mean that's fair. You know, I mean, it, it's so funny. I'm, I'm a big believer of the sort of, you know, the paper bag, you know, the idea of like, hey, you give me a paper bag I'm, I, with the bare, bare necessities and I'll figure my way out. Right. So I kind of like that scrappiness, that scruffiness of these meetups, because I feel like mm -hmm. when you're in that environment, you know, you have no choice but to find the way out. Right. And like sort of go into the details of it and then you come out much stronger. Right. So I don't know. So that that's just sort of my take um, <laughs> on, on that. So. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> awesome. Sorry. Not the best of answers, y'all. I didn't have any clear cut, like, what I would add, what I would take away. Uh, you definitely stumped me. That's the That's point. All right. That's all right. <laughs> well, Wilkin, thanks a lot for coming on, man. And, you know, thanks all for your uh, work in the GDN. That's super awesome. Uh, if you want to reach out, you know, we already mentioned a few times, just go to the show notes. You can find it, all the links you need there. Um, and like Wilkin said, the door is open. The, the virtual door is open. Sure is. Well, thanks, Wilkin. It's been a pleasure. I hope we keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, uh, Jonathan and Shai. Much appreciated. Uh, really a pleasure to be on here. And, and, and thanks for um, helping us out on the GDN side and, and bringing me on. Again, super excited and, and I'm blessed to be on this, on this podcast. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, Wilkin is off the call now, and there are a few, a couple of things we want to mention. First of all, thanks a lot, Wilkin, for coming on. That was super great, and keep doing great work. If you're a meetup organizer, you have a channel in the Gopher Slack for sharing ideas, resources, asking for help. It's uh, hashtag meetup organizers, makes sense. Uh, and the GDN team also has GDN meetups channel in Gopher Slack. We want to mention these uh, two resources as well. We, we know there's a whole bunch of resources in this episode. Uh, but just a couple more if uh, they're relevant to you. Thanks, Oz, for listening. Thanks again, Wilkin, for uh, coming on. And we'll talk to you all next week.